from the CEB, the Common English Bible. The Pharisees and some legal experts from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus. They saw some of his disciples eating food with unclean hands. They were eating without first ritually purifying their hands through washing. The Pharisees and all the Jews don't eat without first washing their hands carefully. This is a way of observing the rules handed down by the elders. Upon returning from the marketplace, they don't eat without first immersing themselves. They observe many other rules that have been handed down, such as the washing of cups, jugs, pans, and sleeping mats. So the Pharisees and legal experts asked Jesus, Why are your disciples not living according to the rules handed down by the elders, but instead eat food with ritually unclean hands? And he replied, Isaiah really knew what he was talking about when he prophesied about you hypocrites. He wrote, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far away from me. Their worship of me is empty since they teach instructions that are human words. You ignore God's commandment while holding on to rules created by humans handed down to you. Jesus continued, Clearly, you are experts at rejecting God's commandment in order to establish these rules. Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and the person who speaks against father or mother will certainly be put to death. But you say, if you tell your father or mother, everything I'm expected to contribute to you is korban, that is a gift I'm giving to God, then you no longer are required to care for your father or mother. In this way, you do away with God's word in favor of the rules handed down to you, which you pass on to others. And you do a lot of other things just like that. Then Jesus called the crowd again and said, listen to me, all of you, and understand. Nothing outside of a person can enter and contaminate a person in God's sight. Rather, the things that come out of a person contaminate the person. After leaving the crowd, he entered a house where his disciples asked him about the riddle. He said to them, don't you understand either? Don't you know that nothing from the outside that enters a person has the power to contaminate? That's because it doesn't enter into the heart, but into the stomach, and it goes out into the sewer. By saying this, Jesus declared that no food can contaminate a person in God's sight. It's what comes out of a person that contaminates someone in God's sight, he said. It's from the inside, from the human heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual sins, thefts, murders, adultery, greed, evil actions, deceit, unrestrained immorality, envy, insults, arrogance, and foolishness. All these evil things come from the inside and contaminate a person in God's sight. Will you pray with me? Loving God, as we talk this morning about matters of hands and heart, we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive what you have for us during this time. I pray that it is your word for your people. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts would be pleasing to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. When I first read this text, I was reminded from a scene from what I will call the greatest television sitcom in all of history. TV Guide named it the most important television sitcom of the 20th century, at least I think it carries on, but the fact that I'm going to show you a scene from this show is going to date me, and I admit that. 
When I thought, when I read this text right away, I thought of this particular scene from the show Seinfeld. And so I'm going to show you this scene, and perhaps some of you will remember who are Seinfeld fans. I know not all of us are fans of Seinfeld, but for those of us who are, maybe you'll appreciate this scene. there is nothing intrinsically wrong with hand washing. I would say, in fact, that hand washing is pretty doggone important. It's something that I was taught that we still teach our kids. We taught our kids the importance of washing your hands before you eat. Cleanliness is important, especially in this age of diseases and contagion. And even, even Jesus, I don't think, had a problem with hand-washing, as it were. That's not the problem. The problem is when tradition or practice become deeply rooted in the minds of men, and in this case, we are talking about men, though now we clearly connect the problem to all of humanity. When tradition and practice become rooted and entrenched in our minds and ultimately disconnected from our hearts, then we have a problem. Hand washing and other purification rituals were intended to be an outward reflection of an inward desire, a desire to be pure and presentable before God. In other words, these practices are intended to reflect the holiness of God. And furthermore, these purity rituals are concrete actions intended to reflect what is ultimately abstract and mysterious as a reality. And that is the holiness of God Almighty. But, as we humans are prone to do, the Pharisees and other religious authorities had taken these rituals and the idea of ritual purity to an extreme, to the point of questioning whether you were truly a follower of God if you didn't adhere to these purity practices. 
And the practices themselves became an outward litmus test of whether or not you were faithful. Instead of a way to point folks toward inward reflection and connection to something deeper than the practices themselves. That's one of the problems that Jesus is pointing out. The other problem Jesus points out is the problem of human practice and tradition becoming authoritative often over and against what God has commanded and instructed, the very will and way and heart of God. In this case, you see referred to, it says, what the elders passed down. And the reality is back when Moses was on Mount Sinai, he, he handed down written law. We know of that written law. But tradition tells us that along with that written law, there was oral Torah that was passed on. Passed on to the elders who passed it on and passed it on to the next generation. And this oral tradition, these traditions became just as important as this original written law. And sometimes it was the interpretation of those oral traditions that just kind of got warped along the way as generation after generation continued to live and try to follow these oral commandments. I've, I've shared several times that I grew up in a, a conservative evangelical tradition. And there was a, an adage, a mantra, a saying that I remember, hear, I remember hearing. I remember hearing people say, it's important that you don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, And don't go with girls or guys who do. Now this is an old uh, old adage that is rooted in the Baptist tradition actually. And I was taught it as kind of a, a rule of thumb of sorts. That this is what it means to be a Christian. Is to follow these kinds of rules. This was essentially according to what I was taught. Biblical Christian ethics boiled way down to a pithy rhyming adage. Now, there's nothing wrong with desiring to be healthy, to avoid drinking and smoking, and to be mindful of who you choose for companionship. Nothing wrong with that. But when that interpretation of God's will or interpretation of Scripture, any other person's interpretation of God's will or Scripture ceases to be a source of meaningful connection to the heart of God and instead becomes oppressive and even abusive, then we've got a very serious problem. Especially, especially when that oppression and abuse is also about excluding people from the kingdom of God. And in in this space, I don't think I need to say a whole lot more about that. Amen? I think this is why Jesus is so quick to jump down the throats of of the Pharisees. And I'm quite sure this is why he took the time to pull the crowds around him after the, the Pharisees had scattered away. He pulled the crowds around them and said, Look, these food laws... These purity rituals, they're not ultimately what pleases God. What pleases God is the condition of your heart and the actions that come about because of that. And I'm absolutely sure that's why he took the time to further explain this idea to his disciples who are yet again 
just a little bit dull when it comes to the wisdom of Jesus. In this case, he basically says, look, guys, whatever you eat eventually becomes what you, I'll say excrete, (laughs) into the sewer system. It can't contaminate you. It can't make you impure or unholy before God. However, you should pay attention to your outward actions because those are a reflection of what is inside of you. And that's the condition of your heart. And if you ask me, that's because Jesus knows that religious practices that are disconnected from the heart are reduced to mere superstition. Religious practices disconnected from the heart are nothing but superstition. But boy, oh boy, do we humans tend to be all about that superstition that we mistake as faith. Many times I've heard folks come to me and say something along the lines of this, something like, Pastor, get this. You'll never believe it, but ever since I started getting up in the morning, every morning at 6.18 a.m. and getting on my knees right by my bedside, right in the middle of my bedside, and turning my Bible to Psalm 37 and reading that four times, three times to myself and one time out loud, and praying the Lord's Prayer both frontwards and backwards, ever since I've done that, I have been completely free of sinus headaches. I know that sounds a bit ridiculous, maybe, and maybe it hasn't often been to that kind of extreme, but Jules can attest to the fact of, of hearing those kinds of things from folks, this kind of theology, this kind of belief. I've heard people say, listen, pastor, I know if I don't tithe, then, then God will punish me and I'll suffer financial consequences. Or as long as I keep coming to church, I know God is going to keep blessing me with good health. And again, there's nothing wrong with having a morning devotional practice. Or giving financially to the church. That one I'll actually commend. (laughs) Or attending church faithfully. I'll commend that one as well. But left to our own devices... We can be prone to thinking that doing these things amounts to putting in the right combination of coins and pressing the right combination of buttons on the vending machine that we've reduced God to in order to get our desired outcome. Or we do the things... That we've always done, our our religious practices, our spiritual practices. Because we always have. We can't imagine not doing them, even if they've, they've lost any real sense of meaning to us. That's sort of where the early church found itself in the beginning days of following Jesus. They'd always done certain things and not done other things. And they'd always eaten certain things and not eaten other things. And yet here is Jesus telling them that it it wasn't as much about what they did or what they ate. As much as it was about truly seeking the heart of God and reflect the will and character of Christ himself. In the early days of the church, the Apostle Paul wrote a, a couple of letters to the church in Corinth. 
one of which you hear me quote almost every week during our communion liturgy and elsewhere in that same letter, he gives his own take on what Jesus is driving at when it comes to what we're talking about this morning. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 23. He writes, everything is permitted, but everything isn't beneficial. Everything is permitted, but everything doesn't build others up. No one should look out for their own advantage, but they should look out for each other. Eat everything that is sold in the marketplace without asking questions about it because of your conscience. The earth and all that is in it belong to the Lord. If any unbeliever invites you to eat with them and you want to go, eat whatever is served without asking questions because of your conscience. But if someone says to you, this meat is sacrificed in a temple, then don't eat it for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. Now, when I say conscience, I don't mean yours, but the other person's. Why should my freedom be judged by someone else's conscience? If I participate with gratitude, why should I be blamed for food I thank God for? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you should do it all for God's glory. Amen, Amen Rosie. Now, as an Enneagram 7 who doesn't like to be told at all what to do and in fact wants to do and experience everything in abundance, as that person, I love the first thing that Paul writes in this little section of his letter. He writes, everything, everything is permitted. Other versions say, everything is permissible. And I say, yes, let's party, bring it on, let's go. I get all revved up by that, by the possibilities. And then the other part comes along. But not everything is beneficial. And not everything builds others up. Wah, wah. Debbie Downer time. But of course not everything is beneficial. Nor does everything build others up. So it's really important to examine ourselves and to consider whether or not what we're doing is truly connected to the heart of God. Or if it's actually destructive or hurtful to others. Or if it's just superstition. Or even worse, bad theology. Or if it's just rote behavior. That we do because we can't imagine not doing it. It's become so a part of our routine of who we are, regardless of how much meaning it has. Now, Jules does a lot that I'm impressed by. A lot. I'm impressed by her faith. I'm impressed by her practice. But last year during the season of Lent, she took it next level as far as I'm concerned and did something that I could never imagine her doing. If you know Jules, you know that... Uh, your pastor is regularly, regularly engaged in a meditative practice, Buddhist meditative practice. Most days she engages in this practice. And she'll go away to retreats for 10 days where she'll sit all day long in meditation, which I find fascinating and super impressive. But last year, for Lent, she gave up. Meditation. 
gave it up. I need to take it on, but she gave it up. When she told me that she was going to do this, she said, I've been meditating. I continue to do this because I can't imagine not doing it. It's just become a part of who I am. But I'm not sure how meaningful or really important it is to my spirit right now. I'm just doing it because I do it. So I want to take a season and figure out if this is really meaningful to me anymore. And so throughout the the season of Lent, she did not meditate. And by the end of the Lenten season, was able to tell me, I've I've re-examined this. This is important to me, and I miss this. And I kind of can't wait to re-enter and re-engage this. Lent begins a week from this Wednesday. This uh, week from this Wednesday is Ash Wednesday, which is the time when we enter into the season of Lent. Now, Lent has traditionally been seen as kind of a journey into the darkness. One of the traditions that a lot of churches have liturgically during the season of Lent is that they'll give up singing hallelujahs or saying hallelujahs throughout the season of Lent and not return to singing that or saying that until Easter time. I have to be honest with you. I'm dreading doing that this year. I'm really dreading it. I'm going to get even more honest and say that personally, I felt a heaviness that's lasted throughout the fall and winter. I can't bear the thought of putting away the few hallelujahs that I might have as we move towards spring. So, thankfully, in my conversation with Jules this week, she kind of reminded me and reminded, we reminded each other of another way to frame this season that is Lent. And this way of framing this season, I am happy to lean into. Lent is also a time of introspection. It's a time when we commit ourselves to disciplines like fasting, or practices like prayer, devotional reading, and contemplation as a means of centering ourselves in the presence of God within each of us and throughout everything we encounter. I also know, though, that I've been guilty of taking on disciplines or practices for ulterior motives, and I want to be mindful of that. That's why I'm already thinking about it and talking about it. We have a week and a half left before we enter into this season. I'll admit that I've given up things like caffeine, alcohol, sugar for Lent just for the physical challenge of doing so, to test myself. I've also fasted from indulgent foods in the name of a Lenten fast when I'm actually just trying to lose a few pounds. Yes, Beloved, I've been guilty of treating my Lenten fast as a religious version of Weight Watchers. So as I prepare for the season of Lent, and as I think about whatever disciplines or practices that I am moved to take on in order to be centered with God, with the presence of God within me and among everything, I want to be more intentional about connecting those things I do or that I choose not to do with the will and ways 
of God. And that's my encouragement to all of us this morning. And I want to take some time in just a moment to reflect and to think about that. The good news is that indeed everything is permissible. You don't have to fast or pray in a certain way during the season of Lent or in in any other season or, or wash your hands a particular way or anything else in order to be acceptable and pleasing to God. You don't have to. But along with that is the reality that not everything is beneficial and not everything lifts people up. And we are called, we are called, especially in the season of Lent, to slow down, to stop, to seek to be one with the Spirit of God when it comes to to all of, of those things in our lives and to listen to the Spirit within us. When it comes to those things. Jules and I decided. I'm going to announce this now Jules. Some of you may get this. um, Title of our sermon series for Lent. And appreciate it. Some of you may not. It's all right. You can ask somebody who is laughing. But we decided to call our Lenten sermon season. All right. Stop. Collaborate. And listen. Ah, Some of you are chuckling, right? All right, stop, collaborate, and listen. Basically, the idea being that during this season, we want to stop. Stop ourselves, pause, and seek to collaborate with the Holy Spirit, the presence of God within us, to center ourselves in that presence, and then to listen. To listen to what the Spirit may be speaking to us, to listen to what God may be leading us to in this season of going deeper, of being more introspective. That's what we're going to be focusing on when we finally enter into the season of Lent. But we are a week and a half off, so I want to take a few moments in response to what we've heard this morning to just to stop, to be still, to be silent, to take a few moments of reflection and to consider this, to consider what practice or we, we uh, sometimes we'll call them spiritual disciplines. Might you, might I, be moved toward in the season of Lent to draw us near to the heart of God? And to think about our motives, our motivation for that, because it's really about motivation, right? And maybe it's you're, you instead want to give up certain things that are distracting, certain things that get in the way of your being able to be centered in the presence of God. So I ask you to consider, what is the Spirit leading you to take on or to give up and to continue to contemplate and to think about that the next week and a half as we prepare for Ash Wednesday? Let's take a few moments now. I invite you to a a posture of centering. We'll take just a few moments in silence and then I will... I will pray for us as we close this time.
Loving God, we thank you that you do not give us a list of have-tos when it comes to being acceptable to you, being pleasing to you, being called one of your own. We also thank you for, for practices, for disciplines that instead are not have-tos, they're not obligations, but they're opportunities to draw nearer to you. Means of seeking you and asking you to cleanse us as the psalmist wrote this morning. To continue to, to mold our heart to be like your heart so that we can reflect you in our interactions with, with others. God, as we consider what we, what we will take on during the season of Lent or what we will give up during that season, what we will commit to as a way of centering ourselves even more in you, we pray that you would help us to be mindful to not do something out of obligation, but instead to seek those opportunities. We thank you for your love and your grace and your peace that is present through all of it. We pray all of this in Jesus' name and all the holy names of God and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Friends, I want to invite you now to share the peace of Christ with one another, to stand up and to give a handshake or a hug and greet one another by saying, peace be with you. And when you hear us begin to sing Spirit of the Living God, we invite you to come on back and, and join us in that chorus, and we'll continue in prayer. Greet one another with the peace of Christ.